do you think UFOs, the paranormal, weird history, cryptozoology, and outsider art are pretty darn cool? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to High Strangeness with your host, Steve Berg. Love it. You do My have friend. like the coolest space background I've ever seen. So Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right off the bat with a comment. Hey, everyone. Welcome to High Strangeness. Oh my goodness gracious, tonight I have my good homeboy, Todd Perth on tonight. Todd, what's up, brother? Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me, dude. I'm so stoked to be hanging out with you, man. Hell yes, man. Well, see, I Todd has a wonderful podcast called Creative Weirdos. And let me tell you something. This guy is living the art life. He is a professional <laughs> artist. Todd, I have to say, you inspire me. And what is it like living the art life, making art a career? Uh, well, thank you, man. That means a lot to me. I mean, like hearing things like that from folks that I respect and enjoy, it's, it it makes it all worthwhile. But I'm super, super lucky and very grateful. It's wonderful. I mean, I get to essentially draw silly pictures for coffee bags for a living and get to share oh. all these weird thoughts in my head with a lot of people that I would never get to talk to. I mean, it's a really nice... I guess I like first started down the art path when I realized that I wanted to like get involved with like the local DIY punk scene, but yeah. I wasn't good at music, but I right. could like, I could draw stuff. So I was there like, we go, draw man. stuff for your bands and stuff yep. like that. So I've always just, and then like now I'm almost 40 and I was like, I want to start talking to these weirdos that I love listening to and reading their books. So I'm like, Hey, I draw stuff to you. And like, it's just been my access point to community forever. So I'm super grateful that I've been able to translate that into like support supporting a family but i'm also it's yes. just it's a big combination of luck and everything else you know <laughs> yeah i mean i do feel like you know the i, I kind of go back and forth on luck where i feel like luck is a thing but you have to be talented and in a place to take advantage of the luck yeah. and so I, I don't think you can be lucky and untalented you know what i'm saying like i mean no. i remember when i would was first starting to get acting jobs so my friends were like oh dude you're so lucky i'm like that kind of diminishes the accomplishment a little bit where I was like, yeah, I am lucky, but I also worked at this for 10 years, broke as a joke, you know, Dude, like you, so you just, you nailed something that I love and that, and I just did it. It's this like inherent artist self hate speech, yeah, right? Like right. it's this, like I have to diminish this thing. Like I should be really proud of the fact that my yeah. silly drawings have like a multi-million dollar company that it supports and like yeah. all of this stuff. And like, I still, I'm just like, Oh, I'm just lucky. And like, you know, it's funny because I just talked to um, my alma mater. I went to, I have an associates in illustration. So I actually uh -huh. like, used my uh, degree, which is, Absolutely. you know, very rare, rare in the yeah. arts. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. Um, but it was, I got asked to go back to my uh, Delaware College of Art and Design and talk to the current students there cause, as a working professional. And, you know, it's the same thing. Like, I remember sitting in those crowds and like waiting for the person to be like, when are, he's, when are they going to say the thing that I can apply and do this as a living? Like, where's the secret sauce? Like, when are they going to yeah. say? And the first thing I said was like, yo, I'm not going to tell you that I can tell you how to do this or that you're going to be able to do it. Because what I've learned is that once a person gets somewhere and maybe this is like universal, but at least in the creative professions, I feel like once a person makes their way, that way is closed and you can yeah. no longer get in that direction. Like uh -huh. I've listened to like, I love comics. So I've listened to like stories from people like Jack Kirby to Daniel Klaus right. to very modern. And like everybody's story is so unique and has this element of synchronicity or luck or whatever you yeah. want to call it totally. that you can't replicate. So like I, my main, uh, 
point of talking to these kids was let the path find you and keep yourself open. If you stay curious and you're a nice person, the path will show up. Like if you told me when I was 18 sitting there listening to other professional artists talk that like coffee packaging was going to be how I get to draw weird shit for a living. I'd been like, you're dumb. Like, that's not true. Like, that's not that's not a thing. But that's like what happened. And it, it was this amalgamation of uh, very serendipitous events and hard work and everything else like you just it was a, a big a big thing that like couldn't have happened any other way so that's I, beautiful i <laughs> love that and i feel like that is so inspiring to hear i would like i feel like i'm gonna start telling because like i do have people like you know friends who have a cousin who wants to start acting or go into hollywood and i never know what to tell them yeah. and i'm just gonna like i'm just gonna lift this quote <laughs> hold on Please. let me get this quote <laughs> off my friend todd purse and read it to you <laughs> this will make you feel good <laughs> that, that's well, beautiful though man i, I totally agree I super appreciate that. It was it's it's all kind of copped from other people's uh, stuff that I've listened well, to, and like I'm like, oh, they have a really good point about that. You know, like, we're yeah, we're, yeah, we're all amalgamations of the media, the things we've read, and then you know, you synthesize it and put your own spin on it, and that's yes. where like your originality comes from. Dude, I love that. Do you know the cons like um Eric Wargo's concept oh, yeah. of the collective unconscious? How like uh-huh. the collective unconscious isn't this archetypal thing that like Jung talks about. It's actually the books on your bookshelf and the podcasts in your phone and like yes. yeah, the collective unconscious is the is the media and the art that we consume. And I think there's like something that really resonates with me. I I think so too. I even like just you you know related to high strangeness. I yeah. do think we pull a lot of our mythology, like when I say mythology and folklore, I think there's something real about mythology and folklore. And it comes from like, you know, back in the, you know, the old timey days, it maybe wasn't as media driven, Mm -hmm. you know, or it probably was to a certain degree, but it wasn't as media driven as it is now, but media and art and books and TV and the news and popular culture all plays a part, I think, in how people experience even high strangers or the so little much. the little you know pockets that in like that they define them in yeah a hundred percent and there's no like it's so funny because i think about this through my kids and the way that i like try and import lessons to my kids right and like the main tool you use to teach kids stuff whether it's morality lessons Mm -hmm. or it's it's stories it's fiction it always has been and like even some of your classic high strangeness cases and and weird folklore comes from don't go down to that river you're going to fucking drown right now like like that fiction is always such a beautiful learning tool and sometimes i think we forget that as we grow up and we under um we kind of underestimate the power of the imagination and how much that really does shape the world and, absolutely uh, yeah. Yeah. well it's, i can i can never remember the woman who said this I, i'm so bad with names i'm, I'm like me too don't worry <laughs> horrible with names but there was a author a german author i believe this woman and she had this wonderful quote that i think about all the time but the universe isn't made of atoms it's made of stories 100%. And I believe that. <laughs> That's like, oh man, you just gave me goosebumps with that. Yeah, one. That's it's a beautiful. beauty. It's a beauty. So, Todd, I'm a huge fan of your show. I think you have one of the most unique perspectives, and the oh. way you talk about high strangers is truly like it resonates with me so much because you have like this artist lens through it. So it's totally unique, and the way you talk about it is really beautiful and positive. And I, I just kind of want to ask you, like. Do you think artists really like? I, I feel like art has had a lot to do throughout time of how we've interpreted, you know, the paranormal, UFOs, even religious experiences. And I was wondering if you feel that the expression of art can be manifest is like a manifestation, actually, of the phenomenon or whatever you want to call it. No, absolutely. I 
I can't agree more. Like that is yeah. definitely where I've landed on this. And like, it's funny because my progression, like I, you know, it, real briefly, I was a weird kid. I was, you know, mm-hmm. I found scary stories to tell in the dark and all of the fun uh, Bigfoot books and UFO books in the library I could. And then I got out of it for a long time. And what brought me back into it was uh, I was kind of going through this transition where I was about to become a dad. And right. I was at the same time, it was like two or three years into being a full time artist. Like at that point, it was the first time where I was. So I was sitting with all of this giant mystery and i feel like i use and i just like not consciously this is all reflective but looking back it's like i started getting back into these ufo stories and ghost stories and bigfoot to like get further into the big mystery and get comfortable with sitting that because i think part of being an artist is being comfortable with sitting at a blank page and sitting in that like i don't know what the fuck's going to happen right and like i think there's a lot of parallels there with the paranormal and religious experiences and the more that i started investing my time into researching and like not even right. researching that's a, kind of a bullshit term for me to use i'll say listening to a ton of podcasts and <laughs> but then that's research i mean that right, is right? you know like you know yeah, but and then eventually reading books and realizing that there is just this like great link between whether it's an experiencer of ufos or any of these things and art like they either yeah. are inspired to create art or they uh, have these mystical experiences while creating art one of the things like the biggest turning point for me in my thinking on the paranormal was reading uh, uh jeff kripal's book mutants and mystics where he absolutely explores all of the different instances of these comic artists having these like transcendent, not just like weird ones like Grant Morrison's that I've talked about a million times, but like Barry Windsor Smith, who like has these time slips while drawing at his drawing table and sees has precognitive events and then like sees those things come real later. And then he also has these like interactions with what he calls the void that it communicates with him that th- things are all one and we're this giant conscious tapestry. And like it's so beautiful to see that thread of like I've always felt like being creative you're kind of touching the same thing that paranormal experiences are I feel so too right and like it was always it was it's nice to see that confirmed by somebody who took the time to be rigorous and write a book and be like here's all these different mystical experiences that are directly associated with these amazing artists that I love and yeah there's just something there that's always kind of felt right to me Totally. And, you know, you and I, one thing we bonded over probably within the first five minutes of us talking, I didn't think it was even before you hit record when <laughs> I was on your show, but we both found that we were huge. We take huge inspiration from David Lynch oh, and David 100%. Lynch, the way he talks about his work and his process, he never says anything directly mystical, but he's completely talking about a mystical experience. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like oh he never God, uses yeah. the actual words or the vocabulary of a mystic, but he's talking from a a mystical place and it speaks so much um it's it feels so much more like what a mystical experience is than if he would use the words like it gives it that mystique or that kind of that fog of like absurdity that Uh really is true in all of it i've this is lynch related but i just finished daniel Klaus's new comic have you heard about it at all i haven't but i'm a huge eight ball fan like i love daniel Klaus. probably my favorite comic writer of all time you have to read this. This is called Monica, and oh. uh, it's the most Lynchian. He's always been compared to Lynch, right? Lynch, right, a big yeah. reference yeah. point for him. It's the most Lynchian work he's ever done. <gasps> I can't give away, like, one, he inserts himself in it at one point, and, like, Love it's it. it's all about death, and, like, it's all – there's so many beautiful themes, but, like, for example, 
it's about a main character who's raised by her grandparents. And at one point after a big traumatic event, she goes to clear out her grandparents lake house and ends up living there for almost a year, talking to her dead grandfather via radio, like having Mm -hmm. a, like just almost directly EVPs into a full relationship. And the way he weaves these things into the story is so amazing. And it's very Lynchian and he's not like, this is an EVP. He's just, there's this beautiful relationship that this really troubled uh, person that's having a really tough time is reconnecting with this family member via the this AM radio, right? So he's mm-hmm. using the trope, but he's not naming the trope. And it makes it so much more impactful. And it makes yeah. it so much more... There's something about leaving that vagueness in there that's really important. I, I think so, too, because like I feel like a guy like myself, I'm always going to be specific about it. Yeah, yeah, but totally. I, you know, There's no fog around when I'm talking about this. It's pretty direct. <laughs> but, like, yeah, you're so right. It's actually, like, a sexier way to do it when you kind of leave a little bit of unknown, Yeah, you know, and- with what you're describing and let people interpret it for themselves. I think that's really powerful. That's the key right there, too. When you listen to Daniel Klaus, he's done a big book tour around this and everything, and he does what Lynch does when, when people are like, what's this book about? He's like, not telling. Like, it's, yeah, just, exactly. it's that thing. Like, he's yes. doing the exact – and I think that's so important because these – these types of works these are the things that last forever like these Uh are the ones that like really really stick around right and it's because of that like reinterpretation like you could do five different like you could listen to five different people talk about this book monica and you'll get five different perspectives because of that like self-reflective ability of leaving the vagueness and leaving that you know what i mean right yeah i mean you know even with painting i mean i remember like such an initiation into my like love of art was when my humanities teacher, like I think in ninth grade showed us, we did like a, a, like a couple days on surrealism and he started putting up these prints of Salvador Dali. And I know Salvador Dali is like the most probably mainstream surrealist painter of all time, but you know, still what? One of my favorites. I, <laughs> me too, me too. And you know, I remember seeing this and having like a physical, like chemical reaction in my body to where I was like, oh my God, there's like 10,000 mysteries wrapped up in one painting and I love it. It turns me on. It it changed my life. You know, it really crystallized what I love about art and what I want out of art. Dude, a hundred percent. And it's an access point into so much other weirdness, which is one of the things I love because it's a cultural touchstone, right? Like Dolly Mm -hmm. or Van Gogh, there's these giant weirdos. Like they are weirdos. And like they, if you actually read about Dolly, for example, and the techniques he would use to bring back those images, it's all working with hypnagogia and sleep and dreams. And like, he would do this thing where he would fall asleep with a spoon is in his hand so that when he would be all the way out, he would drop the spoon and it would wake him up at that like 20 minute mark where you come out and you're still in that like hypnagogic state or hypnagogic, whatever one it is but uh he definitely would that was would have been my first time hearing those words you know was one reading right. about salvador dolly which is almost like not a thing anymore as far like i don't know it's a very interesting way it to is. get into those uh, it sure is. well thomas ideas. edison did the same thing where he'd hold these metal like ball bearing balls yes in his palms and he would take naps in a rocking chair and when he dropped one he would claim to have these kind of breakthrough ideas 
Dude, I love it. I, I know. It's so those cool. are the things, like ideas, right? Like ideas are my favorite weird thing because they're so important and they're so um no one knows what the fuck they are, or where they come from. Yeah. And I think that's even more important. And like I mean, even like one of my favorite raps that Mitch Horowitz will always bring up is how like Newton was as much of a magician alchemist as any like the whole materialist world that's based on this guy's work. If he was alive right now, he'd be hanging out at like the psychical research society and like totally you know, he'd do. be like like way more into that than like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, you know, Absolutely. He's, and like, I think that's so, uh, so relevant to this weird place that we are in culture where like Grant Morrison says it and I'm pretty sure it's in the DisinfoCon uh, speech or maybe it's something else, but he talks about like materialist science being a scaffolding that we've used to build this giant, beautiful building, this basilica that like right. is so gorgeous, but we forgot to tear down the scaffolding. We forgot yeah. that you're supposed to take the scaffolding down yes. after the building's built. It's like, yes. it's not that we disregard that scaffolding. We use it and we build sure. new buildings and we keep that science materialism that's gotten us to this beautiful point where we're talking of and course. like, you know, all the wonderful things. But we need to uh, remember that it's just a means to an end and not the end. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, you know, it's it, you don't just create like science and good scientific methods and say, well, we're done. We got yeah. it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Especially when like that's scientific method is just that it's this like replica replicatable system and even when people play within that system it doesn't mean that their work's going to be justified validated etc yeah, like there's course. a lot of again uh, mitch horowitz talks a lot about uh Professor Daryl Bim from Cornell and how his like essentially all of his stuff was cited as one of those non-replicable. Remember the there's that big article about how a lot of these studies aren't replicable anymore and like, they didn't right. hold up to the science. He was like mentioned the first like a paragraph of that New York Times, I think it was New York Times paper, but it, no one he was never brought back up again in the rest of the article and there was nothing like there to back it and if you actually look at it it's been replicated like hundreds of times wow. and like it's actually very legitimate but it was easy to throw in because it's like he's talking about precognitive weird stuff mm -hmm. and they're like yeah this is all bullshit like it's, yeah. so it's one of those things he played by the rules and did the scientific method and his stuff was justifiable but he's still thrown out with the bathwater because of the way it's portrayed in popular media right and stuff. right so and that in itself seems like bad science. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's where like I I fall again in the, the Jeffrey Kripal camp as far right. as like who gives a fuck about lab tests anymore and all of that. Like give me give yeah. me the user stories, give me the folklore, give me the yeah. like the real life pragmatic stuff. Because that's uh -huh. what this to me, like why I stay so positive about this stuff is because it's a it's another tool to live in a more magical world. Like it's another I, I way, so you know, to, to, to enchant your life. Road. Exactly. Especially in these troubled times. It's like, you know, I feel like uh Ren Collier, who is a guy I know and I really admire his like kind of philosophy, but he was like this, the way the future is going and the world's going, you have to program your, your own life or it's going to be programmed for you. Dude, hundred percent. And I, that actually like hit me like a you know like a boulder. Like I was like, wow. And it's probably always been that way, but I was like, that is so true. And it doesn't mean you have to like, you know, like drop out of society. I mean, no, you function in society, but you kind of make your own rules. Obviously, you know, it doesn't mean you're like killing people or breaking the law or committing felonies every day. No, but it's just it's just I'm going to stick with my philosophy. And you know, you you know, what I'm saying like it, it, it's a deep concept that everyone can like you know it's a personal concept Dude. that everyone could take for themselves but i'm like 
damn, it's so simple yet so true. <laughs> so true. And it makes you realize how weird we are as fucking humans because it's so hard to control the thoughts in our head. And that's yeah. what he's talking about. That is like, yep. and it's 100% that I told you recently, I've been going through like a commencement speech, like rabbit yeah. hole of listening. And I started with the David Foster Wallace. And that's exactly what that whole speech is about. He was talking about what liberal arts actually teaches you and how it teaches you how to think. And yeah. he doesn't mean that it's like doctor indoctrinating you right. what he's saying is it teaches you that you have control over what you're thinking about and that's the most important tool that we have as humans right. is that if we can stop and reorient the way we think about and he uses this beautiful example of like you get the nine to five job that pays well and you have to do this thing you hate for eight hours and then you're just looking forward to going home and you're so excited to get home and yeah. have a beer and eat something nice but then you remember you have to go to the grocery store because you don't have any food at home so <laughs> you're going to the grocery store and there's a shitload of traffic because everybody else that just worked their nine to five is going to the grocery store at the same time. And then you get to the grocery store and your cart's got a broken wheel and all these other people are there and you get your food and then you're going through the checkout line and you get there and you're standing in this long line that's taken forever. And all you want to do is get home and eat. And then this lady that hates her job looks at you and says, have a nice day. And all you want to do is scream. And he's like, yeah. if you live with those thoughts, you're going to have a very poor experience of this life. But yeah. if you take that time where you're stuck in traffic to think about whether it's UFOs, where we come right. from, what is the imagination, are ghosts yeah. real? Do, do you know? Do we reincarnate? All of these beautiful big thoughts. If you control your thoughts during those instances to reorient yourself and not be like, oh, fuck, it's all about me and I'm being stuck right now and start thinking about there's everybody here stuck in the same thing. Let's think about something better Then you're going to have a better life. And like, that's our superpower is that we it can is. control that voice. As far as we know, we're the only critters around here that have this like linear self narrative, right? Like yeah. we're the only things on this planet that we know of that build our own mythology. So like right. going to one of my other favorite people in the world, Robert Anton Wilson, yep. right write the winner script write yeah. yourself into the movie as if you are the winner and the the hero of the story yes <laughs> like, choose your reality tunnel you know he yes. loved talking about i love yes. this concept of reality tunnels too. too and i think about that all the time but like what you're saying is so interesting to me because there are two different kind of forms of like what you're talking about one is like disassociation which sort of has a negative connotation mm -hmm. but what i think you're talking about and I, it's hard to put labels or words that even like completely describe it is like is like positive detachment. Yeah, from that's the a situation. great way to say it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like there, there's all there's we all have these struggles in life, and we have to do things we don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But when you can, and if it's in a healthy way, like you were talking, you were just describing, it's okay to detach and have a little bit of like this time where you do this introspection. I feel like without it, you'll go bananas. No, you totally. Know, like, and it's not about not living in the world and knowing what's going on sure. and like but i think one of the things that people struggle with a lot right now is there's so much um information coming in and mm -hmm. it's like hard especially when it's information that you have no direct control over right. the results of like there's nothing you can do like the sometimes the best thing to do is just recognize it observe it and like have your thoughts but then change your thought pattern and yeah. don't get like stuck in that like place where you're going to you know, like it's one of those things where, again, like you don't want to tell people to ignore things, but you it's like, were we recording when I was, was talking about how I try and tell my kids that everything matters and nothing matters at the same time? No, but because I think this is tell the listeners this because I thought it was beautiful. 
and I think it's really relevant to this the thing that we're talking about. I have a first grader and he gets really upset and frustrated with himself sometimes when he can't do the when he's having terrible reading or he gets stuck on a math problem. And what I try to communicate in not exactly these words is that what he's going through, it is really important to invest the time into figuring out how to read that word and do that math problem, but it's not going to affect the rest of his life. That, that like the stuff great. going on right now is not going to matter in 10 15 20 years right. like i can't tell you anything that happened to me in first grade you know you're such a cool dad because i wish like and you know my, I, I was lucky enough to have really sweet supportive parents but i don't think they ever hammered that into me mm-hmm. maybe enough you yeah. know or like i don't think that was part of the culture back then no to just, be honest yeah. I, I don't think yeah. anyone was getting told that but like if i could go back and talk to my like eight-year-old self who was getting made fun of because he had a lisp and he was chubby yes i would say buddy hold on it's yep. okay like it's this Dude. is so temporary and it means it's nothing you know this is it's not the end of the world <laughs> you know you just gave me goosebumps again because talk about media like kind of ruling the way we live our lives like what where this thought came from and what you just reminded me of is that scene in freaks and geeks where the geeks the younger kids they go to the av room and they're right. like it's their bastion and the av teacher is like listen guys it's gonna suck for the next four years for you yeah. but after that it's gonna be amazing all those yes. kids that are picking on you they're gonna be working for you all yeah. of those kids like, <laughs> like so right yeah. now enjoy the watch the jerk again play yeah. D. like yes. enjoy your nerdery and get through it together and like it's gonna and that's something and essentially he said that like this doesn't matter like what's happening to you does not matter in the long run and you're gonna right. be better because of everything and like, that's something that i really took to heart and like yeah. is you know i found I found a safety in that same thing. Like that was how I interacted with the world. Right. <laughs> and the thing is like, you could even like, I mean, that's it. I don't think that just goes for children either, because like, I feel like I kind of realized this lesson not that long ago, man, because I mean, I, I could tell you cut to like four years ago, I'm driving in my car in LA. I just like tested for a TV show, really wanted it, put a lot of time and effort in it. And I don't get it. And then you're devastated. You're like, you suck. It's over. Yeah. You're horrible. No one wants to put you in their thing. And then you, and it, every, it feels like it's the most important thing in the world. And I failed. Yeah. But like, I, it really took me getting into my mid forties to realize that like, oh, it doesn't matter. Zoom out, buddy. <laughs> like it, this, this is small potatoes. You should be so lucky if this is the biggest problem you had that day. You know? Yes. Like, no, absolutely. That ability to zoom out that you've referenced a couple times is so important and so hard and i think it is one of the functions that these weird stories can do and that like the paranormal stuff that we love can play is that it can like oh and it's not like it's going to pull you out of a great depression or anything like that it it breaks a pattern and it allows you access to what i always call like high school stoner thoughts it allows you to like really dive into that like well what happens next like what what comes where are we going going with all this and like those big those big questions that i don't think people really talk about enough like right now we're a couple days away from halloween right Mm -hmm. and like my kid he asked me like what do dad what do you like about halloween and i was like I like that everybody acts a little weirder than they normally do. I like that you can drive down the street and there's seven foot skeletons and it's not weird. And that like people are kind of interacting with death a little bit more than Mm -hmm. they normally would. And I think it's probably 
it might be a symptom of an unhealthy um, interaction with death in a larger form that it just right. kind of we use this one little holiday and we don't do it the rest of the year type deal. Right. But that is what I like about it. Like I can't, I, I'm not a horror movie guy. I don't uh-huh. really watch a lot of horror movies. I don't right. go to haunted houses, but I love Halloween. And it's yeah. because like, it's not even like I listen to extra, like more paranormal podcasts, right? I listen to the exact same. I ingest right. all the exact same stuff I always do, but I just love that everybody else is kind of on the same page for a little bit. Yeah. Everybody is thinking a little weirder about stuff. And like, that's my favorite part, whether it's like, you know, the weirdness with the, what's going on with UFOs or any of this stuff, like the, the shine, the silver lining of all of it is always that it's getting people to think a little weirder, even if they don't go past the nuts and bolts and they stick with the extra. That's fine with me, honestly, in a lot of ways, because uh, like they're still thinking about something that's not just like me and you meat bags. Like they're thinking a little bit out, right? Like, yeah, I I want that. (laughs) I'm trying to check myself a little bit more because sometimes I feel like when I get to talk to people who, you know, have read a lot about this stuff, you know, just doing this podcast. Sometimes I feel like I come off as this UFO hipster mm-hmm. and I'm trying hard to get away from Dude. that. It just, it comes out every once in a while. And it, 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 like, okay. I, there's a question I've really, I thought about this morning and I really was like, oh, I have to remember to ask Todd this because yeah. I don't get to always talk to like professional working artists like you, but there's something about the paranormal and high strangers and like UFOs where the ephemera of it, like, you know, just like the old, like 1970s covers of a UFO book. There's something so intoxicating, artistically speaking about high strangeness that really like just as much as the mystery, I'm attracted visually to the ephemera and everything that goes along with it. Even the campy kind of kitschy folk art aspect about it, which isn't sometimes super refined and whatnot. I love it. It makes me happy. It's like a warm blanket. What do you think it is about ephemera of high strangeness that is so attractive to people like us? It's a great question and something I haven't, I actually haven't really thought about that too much because like, it is just like ubiquitous for me at this point. Like Uh it is just like kind of like my go-to, but I think what like really attracts people is this, um, it's what art does in general, right? It's trying to transcribe something that's untranscribable. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of been the artist's role in society since there were artists is a right. way to communicate things that aren't really communicatable, right? right? And like, I think that's what like, whether you're looking at a witness sketch or like Otto Binder is one of my favorite examples. Uh-huh. Like there's so many beautiful and Otto Binder is a great example for a million. Like this dude invented Supergirl and was a professional cartoonist like who defined a lot of golden age dc comics right and he leaves to go invest in these stories of high strangeness and essentially like that when he retires that's all he does is draw right. these like experiencer accounts and everything and i think it's because it, it does have that like it has that authenticity that allows for you to feel something that you kind of lose as you get older. And let me try and explain that because I think that's a confusing statement. And it no, it's not. I, I, I'm picking but, up what you're saying. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, so, you know, that first time that you watch something, whether like for me, it was probably The Simpsons, but it's right. like so good and like hits the heartstrings and all of the right marks. It gives you goosebumps. Right. Yeah. And you're like. How did me watching something give me a physical reaction, right? right? Like there's that that little chemical change inside of you. Yeah. Like what is happening, right? I chase that. Like that Mm -hmm. is like what, like I look for songs that do it. I look for, and what I found is like, 
it's almost harder to experience via media for me as I got older, but I was getting similar experiences when I would like find Jeff Kripal's book, Mutants and Mystics, or uh-huh. I would find these like these more kind of deeper dives into strange things. It right. gave me that same feeling. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's what I want. And I think that's what artists recognize is it's a way to tap in to that place that they're already tapping into. Like, I think whether it's right. conscious or not, they recognize that those experiencers, they're touching a similar fabric as when you're at the drawing table and you look up and it's been six hours and you don't know where it went. Like they're, right. they're, they're all kind of like realizing that it's coming from a similar place. Well, sometimes I think. I think about people like you who uh, like, I, I like, here's a way I would describe a, a person like you. My friend Todd is an explorer who sometimes we send into the subconscious, the collective subconscious of human beings. And then he comes back and tells us the stories through his art. Like it really <laughs> is. Cause I, I do I feel like it. artists have this like superpower to tap into these things that can be so weird, surreal and strange. Yet there's a familiarity about it. Yeah. Like even when you look at a dolly pain, you're like, that's so weird. How do you come up with that? Yet I'm like, I feel like I've seen this before in a dream or something. You know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) there's this eerie familiarity about it and I can't put my finger on why, but like, I feel like you translate. So like, I love your art so much. One, it makes me happy to look at. It's completely unique. And you have these great messages behind them too. Like, thank you. You're such a positive person. Like when, when I discovered you, like in the high strange world and like this kind of community, I was like, Oh man, I've been waiting for Todd. <laughs> the feeling you know? is mutual, Steve, a hundred percent. Like as soon as I think I heard you either on What's Up Weirdo, uh-huh. that's probably the you did one of the live pop-ins. I feel like right, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. First the Christmas you, special. I think, yeah, yeah, I think that was the first time you popped on my radar, and it was the same thing where I was like, oh, I want more from Steve. And then luckily, you popped up a lot more after that, and all kinds right, of yeah. stuff. And then well, started you know, the podcast. I, you know, the lens I try to take is like, well, I take this stuff deeply seriously, but not always literally. Yes. And I find a lot of high strangers, not the trauma aspect that it causes people, but I find so much of it, I laugh out loud at it. And <laughs> yes. the weirder it is, the funnier it is to me, and the more serious I take it at the same time. Absolutely. <laughs> so Dude, it's kind of an odd thing. You're so right. And that's definitely the way that I, I view it. And to jump back just a little bit where you say you try not to be like the UFO snob. That's yeah, like, you know, right. I actually did that to my wife this morning because she randomly was listening to a podcast that Tom DeLonge was on. Right. right. And she's right. like, and she, she's not into this stuff at all. She sure. loves nineties pop culture. So she's like, I'll listen to Tom DeLonge talk yeah. about some stupid shit. Right. And so she's like, you know, I was listening to Tom DeLonge talk about aliens and before she could even say anything, I'm like, yeah, that's all, you know, like I started like, <laughs> and then like, yeah. I realize what I'm doing and yeah. I'm like, I stop and I'm like, so what, tell me about what, and she was like, Oh, he was talking about how it has to do with time and interdimensionality. And I'm like, that's great. Like usually people's first interaction to like, you know, and she's heard me talk about all this stuff right. plenty, but like, you know, she's not completely in the closet, but normally like that was probably a lot of other people's first interaction with this topic. And it's mm-hmm. awesome that even though it's coming from somebody that's pretty unreliable and has a lot of problematic associations sure. and all of that fun stuff, at least they're talking about weirder stuff. Like I again, agree. at least my day started with my wife asking me about time slips and, and, <laughs> and extra and, and interdimensional beings, which right. is, you know, way better than like what's for dinner tonight. I agree. That's a, that's a great way to enjoy your first cup of coffee. You know, yes, like, I mean, yes. like I always want to be, you know, always want to talk about this stuff. I mean, like yeah, I can't get yeah, enough no. of it. 
But it's so funny because you're right. And I think the closer you are to people, the more you almost like kind of shut it down where you're like, you know, that you go to that default. And it's like, no, I want it like this. is She never is interested in talking. We should talk right. more about this. And like, but you're not going to get there if I just start with like, well, you know, he went bankrupt. And that's why he's like, we're recording a record again. And like, he totally yeah. just got used. I'm pretty sure. And yeah. Like, he kind was of a spit out. idiot. Yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah, yes. But... Totally. <laughs> But there's no need to go through all of that because she's never going to really look into it. You know what I mean? Like, right. like you got to pick and choose like when you go into that stuff. Yeah. It's like I work in coffee, right? Like, but like that's a big part of how I support myself is illustrating coffee bags. And for a long time, I was also like serving coffee and interacting uh-huh. with people in coffee and like specialty coffee is a whole thing, right? Like yeah. there's like a whole world to it. It's like but wine it- culture. Totally. Yeah. But if you just hit people over the head with that shit and they're not ready for it, they're like, yeah, what you have to pick and choose. You're like, this dude wants a little bit more of an experience. He's going to want a handmade cup of coffee that might cost $8. Mm-hmm. But this person that's just trying to get to the office real quick and wants her Frappuccino, you don't tell her about that. Like, you know what yes. I mean? You pick and choose who's going to. And like, I think it's the same thing when people are interacting and coming to people like us that have more knowledge or have been around this stuff longer. Right. You don't want to automatically just be like, it's all bullshit because then like yeah it's just yeah stop people in their tracks right and the other thing that i've noticed from having kids is n- you can't teach anybody anything you have yeah. to lead people to teach themselves and like absolutely like th- again that's why i was like i need to stop this conversation now because she's not invested in this like i am there's no reason to go through all of this ne- we should just it's have a fun conversation for her yeah let's just have a fun conversation about time and how weird things are and how like yeah. there's more scientific evidence for interdimensionality than there is for extra or uh terrestrial extraterrestrial travel and stuff like right. that like right. that's fun like let's talk it, about that it is yeah let's explore that because that is the one thing that's so great about being into fortiana and this stuff is because not only are you talking about like ufos and bigfoot and all that fun stuff but it is an entree to talk about the mysteries of life and what happens to us. What's, what's the meaning of life? Why are human beings here? Why do we have consciousness? Because that is the thing about UFOs. Like if you get into UFOs, just for example, you know, I think it was actually Jeffrey Kripal who said this UFOs is a subject where the first year or two you're reading about UFOs, but if you're doing it right on year three, you're reading about Arabian mystics from 2000 years ago. And I'm like, absolutely. Because that, that is what like, being into this stuff has really given me is like this world knowledge of, you know, ancient mystics, you know, in like different kinds of thought, even like world religions, all this stuff is, is part and parcel yes. of high strangeness. A hundred percent. And it gives you this beautiful view. It gives you two things that I really value that I don't think you can get from a lot of other stuff as easily. And one of them is this kind of historical view I'm not like necessarily of the camp that this is all the same stuff and it's mm-hmm. all one thing and just different faces. Like yeah, I think knows? that's a fun idea, sure. but like I, I like to stay very flexible, but I think it does all rhyme. I think it does. There is a relationship to it all that you notice when you go back and you end up looking at those ancient mystics and right. stuff that like is really, I don't want to, I guess empowering. Maybe it's like, it's something that makes you like, Oh yeah, we are special little meat bags. We are like, you know, (laughs) there is something that's kind of cool about being a human. Like we are so down on ourselves all the time for like destroying the earth and being shitty, like, you know, mean old monkey people and all that stuff. But really we're something special that like this stuff can allow you to remember. And the other thing that I think it can do 
is the, exactly what that David Foster Wallace uh, commencement speech is about, is about taking yourself away from this idea that you are the center of the universe. Like uh. we are, our default mode is that we are all the center of the universe and we are the star of our own movie and we are the thing. Right. And what this stuff can do is allow you that we're actually all connected and all the same thing. And there's not like this hierarchical value, value even for like, I love how prominent once you get a little deeper, things like anime are in the weirdo world because like that idea like if we could actually culturally accept that idea that could actually change the world like if people you know if people would like look at a tree with as much value as your you know fellow human and these things and like there's so many things that you can get to through the weirdness that like you don't really have access to unless you're really into philosophy or oh, like, you know, certain yes. things, you know, Todd purse for president. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Look. No, 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 hey, no, no, man, no. we need you, buddy. I'm sorry. You're going to have to no, do no, it, no, dude. No, no, no. <laughs> nope. 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 I Todd... smoke way too much weed. Hey, well, so do I. I'm, I'm pro weed, man. I think. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, speak, you know, speaking of things we have in common, uh, like <laughs> so many things, uh, you kind of, at a young age, you know, I think had a lot, a lot of, you know, from just having conversations with you, a lot of what shaped you was getting into punk, punk rock and, you know, punk culture. And there is this inextricable link between para-weird culture <laughs> and punk rock. Do you know what I'm saying? And oh, I think I probably the most obvious thing is that, like, it, maybe not so much with UFOs and punk rock today. Because they've kind of crossed over into the mainstream, but like punk rock and UFOs and the paranormal were all really part of the marginalia world. They were yes. in the margins. They 100%. were for outsiders. They were for misfits. You know, because even UFOs growing up, like I didn't tell people no. I was always reading about UFOs because my friends would think I was a weirdo, and I didn't want to be a weirdo as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was, but I kind of closeted myself so I could function <laughs> in high school better. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? But what Dude, what is it? Do you think there? Because there is a link, and I can't really put my finger on it exactly. Dude, but... it's so funny because it's one of my favorite things to think about, and I I've uh, made this kind of joke to people before. I used to think that you played in punk bands and you grew up and you either became like a country western act or you went like. <laughs> so, but actually, yeah. there's another option where you just get really into cryptids and UFOs, yeah. and like that's like a whole other thing for the yeah. the, the aging punk rocker. Right. But I think you I think you nailed part of it with that subversive almost identifier at a certain point like Uh it's like how tattoos used to be or wearing a leather jacket none of these things mean anything anymore but even in like the early 90s if you saw someone that was covered in tattoos with like big doc martens and a leather jacket you're like oh shit that dude's like there's something different going on there right like yeah and i think like carrying that stack of ufo books or like being into it was always a part of it and i think it goes back to like before punk, honestly, like I think if you look at like Sam the Sham and you look at these like early rock and roll uh, acts that essentially where punk grew out of, right? There is this like leaning into the scary and the dark and like yeah. It, so it, it combines my two favorite things in the world: humor and darkness. Right? Yeah. Humor and it's it's Lynch, it's the Ramones, it's like even the Ramones. They started with like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and like don't want to go down to the basement. There was this like element of horror in that whole. Yep thing from the beginning not to mention like iggy like i mean what he For was sure. doing like i mean just, just coming up, himself and like yeah, you and know, androgynous like, you know yep. you're like because i remember like seeing pictures of iggy with the students and as a kid i think it was like on vh1 they were doing like an iggy pop and i was like 
wait, is he, was he a woman or like, yeah. I, I remember just being like, that's so cool. Like, so, you yeah, know? like <laughs> I can picture, I, I'm pretty sure I know exactly the like footage you're talking about where he's like bending all the way back. And yes. like, he's just like, you can't tell what's going on with his body because he's so fucking flexible. Exactly. And like him and, and Bowie, you know, you were, you weren't, they're like, they were essentially aliens to me as yes. a kid. Yes. So here's what th- this is. A, you're a great person to talk to us about uh, because I've been thinking about it a lot in that. Like, so punk rock kind of started there, right? In Detroit right. with the MC5 and yep. the Stooges. And it grew out of a rebellion against like this, you know, kind of over overdone, self-indulgent hippie bullshit. Right. right like right. that was like, yes. like, and like, it's funny because you listen to the Stooges and it's a fucking jam band that doesn't know what they're doing. And just totally. sounds crazy for like, <laughs> totally. you know, like for the first two totally. albums, which like, there's some great songs, but right. like, but like it grew out of this rebellion of this culture there. And like, it still embraced and kept some of that mysticalness though. It kept that like, like they were into fucking magic and yep. weirdness and all of that, even the New York scene. But then the eighties hardcore scene comes along and there's no time for that. Like no. once minor threat and black flag and everything take over, like you get like a six pack here <clears throat> and there and some funny songs, right. but there is no more time for no. like magical thinking or like that type right of fantasy. That. They go straight straight for real life problems real life like and there's still some of the humor and stuff but i feel like there like it's this wax and wane in the underground culture right because mm-hmm. in the late 90s early 2000s there's this move back to not like not necessarily that like kind of like when i grew up if i would have been like hey guys we're all in this kind of magical ritual together singing these songs that we believe in in this basement as like 50 people like they would be like yeah that's the stupidest thing i've ever <laughs> but there was this uh, there was like this silent uh, like recognition of it in the in those basement shows and in those like areas and i think that it started getting weirder again in that like, uh-huh. late 90s early 2000s and like is now i have no clue what an underground culture is like anymore as far as the punk scene goes but like yeah when i it's funny how the to me essentially what i was getting at is culture gets weirder and then the diy scene gets less weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know. well it's an it, it is an interesting time where like you were kind of mentioning like the leather jacket the tattoos it's like how do you stand out as a weirdo now like i guess in your appearance or yeah. like even just like with what you consume because like you said everything is everything is available now mm-hmm. when you were punk and into punk rock culture it required a lot of work where I would have to go, you know, find someone to take me to downtown Omaha to the punk rock record store. But it was like a journey to even be able to get the records living in the Midwest. And you feel I like was, a, but the journey was what I was attracted to. You know? Totally. Like, and then you get made fun of by the record store uh, yeah. workers. And like, you know, there's yeah. so much to that. There's so much ritual that's been lost along those uh-huh. ways that I think is like... I, I hate making judgmental statements and saying one way is better, one way is worse, but it's different. And I don't know, I don't know what the results of those differences are, but like the way that we find media right now, it bums me out sometimes. And like one of the things I think talking about the Stooges, it's a great example because so the Stooges were signed to Sire Records, a major record label by Danny Fields. Like Mm -hmm. Danny Fields was a dude that like essentially started the whole punk scene. He discovered the MC5 and as a like almost like the MC5 were like, if you want to sign us, you got to check out my little brother, my little sister band, Iggy Pop and the Stooges. And he was like, oh, I'm going to sign this. If if And Danny Fields job right now, is an algorithm like who like gets signed to record labels is made 
by an AI program, right? That AI program will have looked at Iggy and the Stooges and been like, too weird, doesn't fit in any categories, we're moving on. Like, yeah. he, like that whole scene wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for a human that recognized the beauty of what was going on there. That really, there's no reason that should have been uh, successful or should have led to like, you know, a career. I know. But, well, it's, it's troubling because even like, I, you know, I can even see it in my own industry. Like you oftentimes, if you're up for a big role in a TV show or movie and they like you for the part, they will check your social media following. Yeah, and dude, if it's that's not high enough, you will not get hired for the job. I mean, like that. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like bitter or anything, but but that's just a reality. And I don't think you're going to get the most interesting performers or actors no. for not a job all. by looking at like how much they self promote themselves. <laughs> you know, like it seems so backwards to me. Like I think growing up, I was always like enamored with like actors who were who like refused to do interviews. Like, you know, yes, you, you'd yes. rarely see like Nicholson or Bill Murray. They would, wouldn't do interviews. They didn't do press. And that they created this mystique around themselves yes. that to me made me love them more. But that 100%. is totally gone. There's no mystique. And like, and granted, like I'm part of the social media world. I promote my podcast, promote my shows I'm on. Dude. So I, because it's, you know, basically, you know, can't beat them, join them. And I can't beat them. No. But I am sort of like, I do long for the days of where, in, especially like in film and TV, where the more mystique the actor or director had behind them, the more intoxicating they were to people. You know, I a hundred percent agree, and I think there's so much like there's so much good to the access people have to find out information these mm-hmm. days, right? Like, like I would have died for like growing up when i was first getting into comics all i wanted to know was like what bristol board is this cartoonist using what kind of pens do they use what kind and then you would buy things like how to draw comics the marvel way or like these books that give you little glimpses all of that's gone because you just have youtube and you can watch tons of professional cards any any cartoonist you like you can find a way right i think some of that stuff's really useful right and i think it's beautiful but i think it's also come to this point where it makes the discovery of it less beneficial. It makes yeah. it so that it's like less meaningful that hunt yeah. for the record store that like, if it's just given to you, it doesn't matter as it much. Doesn't, that makes no, sense. It doesn't. Like, no, re- it really doesn't. You know, it's even I, like earning, earning a paycheck. It's like, you know, like, while I don't believe like you have to work to be like, feel yeah. self-worth, but there is something nice when like, you know, if you're given money, obviously that's nice, but when you earn money, it feels different. A hundred percent. And it's the same feeling as like finishing a, a load of dishes or Absolutely. vacuuming. Like money is just fucked up because it's tied to our, you know, homes and food. Like it just yeah. shouldn't be tied to that. Yeah. Like, we should just be able to like live without this stupid thing. And then our getting that feeling that you're talking about from paying bills or getting a paycheck, we can find that in a million other places. Like, I yes. always hate when people are like no people will lose purpose and lose drive and that's all bullshit we, <laughs> yeah. we are nothing but purpose generators all yes. we do is look around and make purpose and like reasons for us to do stuff like Agreed. money does not have to be it like it's yes. just one form that well is, i mean uh, capitalism really has be i mean like i don't want to get too political but you know i can't help it capitalism <laughs> i feel is a disease that mm-hmm. now has like imprinted itself into americans dna yeah. And it's like a problem <laughs> and, and it, no. it, it will destroy us. If, I mean, like, and the thing is I heard someone quote, there's like, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is the end of capitalism. 
I'm that's like, that's a so scary true. Quote. Yeah, that's <laughs> a scary is. quote, dude. And the thing that, like, you know, I don't, I listen to some people that are way smarter than me talk about this type of stuff. And, like, I usually zone out after a certain amount of time right. because yeah. it gets into, like, very uh, nuts and bolts style yeah. things. But one of the things that I think about, like, again, it goes back to that scaffolding that Grant Morrison was talking about with materialism. Like, capitalism was a scaffolding that got us to this point, good or bad, right? right. Let's right. let's tear down the... Like, we can keep some of it. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm yeah. sure there's a form of capitalism that is not what we are in right now that right. would actually, like, kind of work, right? right? Just, like, there's a form of socialism or there's a form of any type of, like, like not any type of system. I shouldn't say that. But there's a form of most type of systems that would work and maybe just not in the way that they've been executed in the past. Past, right sure. right so like the thing is that it us humans us weird squishy meat bags right we hate that we yeah. want all or nothing we want to destroy it or we want it and yep. like you know i think that's one of those things that like is being amplified right now and i don't know why i don't know like but i think there's this amplification of things going on and that's one of them is this like this very uh, black and white thing that mm -hmm. I thought everyone kind of moved past, but apparently right. we're still kind of in that. Like everything has to be black or white for it to be acceptable. Right, or, right, right. Uh, digestible. I, I think that's very unfortunate. Now, Todd, in terms of your work and process, right? And yeah. like, not that maybe, and maybe you're not even aware of like a process or it's like mm -hmm. a, you, you don't have a strict rules, but like when you go in front of like, okay. Or like, actually, let me, let me just take this uh, pretense away. What is your process when you sit down to work? Yeah, that's great. So is there a ritual? You know what I'm yes, saying? I guess that's what I'm 100%. getting at. <laughs> so hundred percent there's ritual. Um, and it, it kind of is like what we touched on before we started talking. Like I do most of my work forever before I had kids, I was a stay up all night and I would do my work between like one and four in the morning. Right. That would uh -huh. be my drawing time. And then having kids like, you don't really have that option as much anymore, at least in the schedule that we keep at the house. So I realized that if I get up at like four in the morning, three 30 in the morning, I have like from then until 7 AM and I can get that same feeling. And mm -hmm. I realized that like, I think it's something to whether it's, it's quieter and there's not as much going on. Uh -huh. Or actually I've also heard people like David Lynch say like, there's this trend where creatives tend to work at this time. This yeah. like three to four. The liminal and, hours. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. And I think it might be like a signal booster almost like the more people connecting to that creative space, the right. easier it is to connect to it. So, right. so like, I think it has something to do with that. So yeah, I start my day real early. First thing I do is make coffee and sit down, I smoke a little weed and I yep. sit down at the, so I don't go out to the studio. I work in my garage for the most part. Um, but I usually start my day just drawing in the kitchen because I like to be in the house and like here, if the kids are getting up, or sure. like, you know, all that stuff. But like, essentially I, it's my meditation time. Like mm -hmm. I, I start with just a really simple, like, uh, was it four, seven, eight breathing and just kind of uh -huh. count like four, four in hold for seven, count eight out. And I do that until like, I stop realize I'm doing it. And then I just start drawing and it's usually in a sketchbook. Like that's my first thing I do is pick up a pencil. I go to the sketchbook and that's usually when like phrases and stuff will pop out to me, like uh -huh. the little messages in the artwork that I right. end up posting just weird little things. And I'll be like, Oh, that's a good one. Or there'll be something in my head from a podcast that it like yeah. is just kind of going and going and like pops back up to the surface. And I usually just write those things down. And then eventually I start doodling and like start making images go with them. And that Beautiful. turns into the day's drawing. So that whole thing can take anywhere. Like sometimes that whole process will be like a half hour. Like I'll doodle, I'll come up with a phrase, I'll come up with an image, I'll love it. And I'll take that straight to the iPad 
I take right. a little picture of the drawing uh-huh. and then I go straight to the iPad to do the finished art. So do does it. the doodle ever come before the image? Yeah, sometimes. There's I'm, not sorry, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The phrase or like the, you know, the line. Because it, it goes I, both ways. Your lines, the way you kind of like are able to distill the picture <laughs> down because you, you're also like a great writer. I mean, like, Aww. you know, I, I don't know if you think of yourself that way. No, because, not at all. <laughs> well, you should because I, I find the messages you have while there's it's one sentence usually and it's distilled down and i'm like one it makes me very happy it's always full of like love and positivity that, that's just who you are as a person so i don't think there's any avoiding it oh. but you're a very talented writer because the economy of words any writer will tell you is the hardest thing to learn and a lot of writers will never learn it. myself i overwrite everything so yeah. i'm always focusing on economy of words but it seems like you just have that naturally Kids books. I'll tell you, like uh-huh. it was a hundred percent. Like the last six years, besides comics, like all I've read is kids books, and there are some of the most beautiful works of art out there. There's a a duo, um, Mac Barnett and John Clayson, and they are my favorite uh, kids books writer and illustrator. Mac Barnett's the writer, and John Clayson's the illustrator, and they do these beautiful stories that are like surreal, whimsical, magical kids books. They have this series called Shape Island that's just about a triangle, circle, and a square that live on an island and interact together. It just became an Apple Plus uh, claymation stop animation TV show. Highly recommend watching the Halloween special. It was my favorite thing I've seen in years. Um, But those books, it's the same thing where you get like a line a page and with those you get to read them like part of the thing i always struggled with is when i'm reading a book like even a kid's book like that and i finish it and it feels so good it's because of the sequence i get to flip the page and go from one stanza to the next stanza you don't have that with uh, an instagram image right like Uh i have to like i have to tell a whole story in that one image but because I like to make zines and stuff, I try and make it so that they can go together and I can piece together things. So I'm trying to tell yeah. a larger story within smaller stories, if that makes sense. It's, you're, like, well, you're wildly succeeding off the charts because that, that is one thing I, you know I, I, that drew me to your to your work. One, your art's just beautiful. Like it's just it hits me. It's it's for me. But the message in the line, I'm just like equally impressed by. So like, I feel like why you don't think of yourself as a writer to me, you're definitely a writer (laughs) and a very talented one. And one, I feel like it's very a positive impact in the community. So that's beautiful. And that means a lot. And that goes back to what we were talking about. Like, I mean, I try to be a generally positive person, but just like anybody else, I get issues all over the place. Positive people can be cynical too. You know, like I'm very cynical, but I'm very positive at the same time. (laughs) It's all about that thing we were talking about, about checking your thought patterns. And like when I go into cynical thoughts, that's why I wrote the things I post are messages to myself is what I say. Like the reason those pop out of my subconscious or wherever they come from is because I need to hear that thing. It's not because I think anybody else needs to hear it. It's because I need to remember that fun is very important and to to like enjoy things and all of that stuff. It's messages to myself is how I look at it. And I look at it in the way that like, There's a there's this thing that happens. I think it's very easy to fall into that cynical uh, kind of like self down talking artist thing. And like it's Uh very it's not that you shouldn't put out things that are a range of emotions and it always has to be bubbly and happy. But like, honestly, it's the same reason I don't watch horror movies because I don't want to see violence. I don't want to consume that stuff. Uh 
I don't want to draw that stuff. I want to draw things that make me giggle and make me laugh. And I want to be able to, another big part of that was having kids too. Like I want to, I want my kids to be able to interact with my art. I never want to be like working on something to be like, you know, I probably shouldn't show you that. Like I probably, you know what I mean? Like I just kind of, uh, and 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 that's just, you know, you know, a weird example. Like I had uh, Gina, are you familiar with Chet Zar? The artist. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I had him on my show last week and we had a fantastic conversation and he, you know, is kind of like a luminary of the dark art world. Yes. And no, a lot absolutely. of his stuff, like when you look at it is, you know, scary or troubling to people. But when I talked to him, he was one of the sweetest, most optimistic, wonderful yes. magicians I've ever met in my life. And he was explained to, and when I, I actually, it made me relook at his work. And now I find a lot of the stuff, a lot of pathos and comedy in his work. And That's he was so telling cool. me, he's like, I feel like these characters, I feel sorry for him. You know, like, and he was telling me, he's like, I'm trying to like help them come to life because they're, looked at one way, but they're not horrible. They're not all horrible monsters. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. And like, and another, another thing, you recently had Greg Bishop on your show. I did. And we, we know, love Greg Bishop. On, yes. he, he's, you know, friend of the show. We love him. And he's got these two kind of ideas that make me think of you. And one is that UFOs are a cosmic art project. And two, it's his idea that whatever the phenomenon we're dealing with, how it shows itself is a co-creation by us. Yeah, no, I couldn't. Those when I first found Greg Bishop's work, those were the ideas that like made me like, oh, I have to like talk to this person. At yeah, some point. Big like time. I have to like, because I think that there's so much truth to that, and it rings true. This is my favorite part of it, honestly, is how you can find these threads like that the UFOs are a cosmic art project, or that like the co-creation idea you can find those in tropes of psychedelia. You can oh, find yeah. them in like all kinds of religious and spiritual texts. And that's when I'm like, there's something there, whether it's like, I mean, I love the Grant Morrison story of the fact that the, you know, the idea that he interacts with these aliens and they tell him that they come here to grow ideas because they can't grow ideas outside of time and space where they live. So they need the way that we interact with time. Like we built this time structure of linearity and that is the secret sauce to like growing ideas and stories. And that's, that's why we interact with these like yes. uh, things from other dimensions. And I thought like Greg Bishop said that in a whole different way that like is a beautiful, like it's just so succinct. And like, yeah, I love when there's those parallels from these great thinkers that are completely separate. But then I, I totally, it, one of my favorite parts of having him on was talking to him about speaking at Disinfocon and being able right. to talk to Grant Morrison. And like, yeah. it's one of those things that like, I, I don't think he knew how much that meant to me because mm-hmm. like, that's something that like, I mean, I would have died to be in that room and like right. talk to those people. And like, yeah, it's well, Greg's beautiful. one of those kind of Walter Mitty people for like the last 30 years with UFOs where he has been around the most like important moments yes, <laughs> of ufology yes. and talk to the most important people. That's why he's such a fun person to interview or know or be friends with because him and I, I met him in LA, you know, like probably 15 years ago. I was a fan of his podcast and I just like reached out as a family. Like, Can I buy you lunch? And then we had, had like a, he gave me like five hours of his time. And then we became like, we, we decided to go play golf together once a month for like a, probably a decade. That's amazing. And we're both terrible <laughs> golfers and we hate kind of like the idea of golf. And so we went to like this low rent kind of like punk golf course, That's but amazing. it was so fun. But the whole time I'm just asking him basically all these questions and he was oh, yeah. always so nice to talk to an idiot like me <laughs> and dumb it down so I can understand it. Like, no, that's my favorite role to play. Like what what we get to do as kind of like almost outsiders in an outsider community, right? right. Like we get to it was like when I first 
got into the coffee community and like was going to these big coffee expos as like the dude that runs this little section of this like i just got to play dumb and i just got to be like i don't know this seems like a really cool thing tell me about it and like i love playing that role with my podcast or just like all of these people are so much more eloquent and so much more like they have a way of thinking about the world that like is like something i wish i could have sometimes yeah. and, like it's just nice like i feel like it's nice to be able to uh have those resources in your life just to connect with those people and like I, right. i'm very lucky but i love being able to be like you're the expert i don't know i'm just a dude that doodles all day and thinks mm-hmm. about weird stuff <laughs> yeah well i mean you know you turn the tables around on a guy like greg looking at you i'm sure he's equally impressed no, no you know what i'm saying that's that's a uh, very kind and i it's one of those things that like i never it's just it's so hard like maybe it's you know what else i think it is the punk in me that doesn't allow myself to like you know i really know except those things yeah like, it's so funny even like reaching out to someone like greg i feel like there's this 90s thing that broke in my brain that's like it's hard for me to reach out to people i respect yeah. sometimes it's me hard too. to be like you know what i mean it like I, I don't know what it was about that culture but like it was that like I feel like there was this message in the whether it was just the punk scene or maybe it was more pervasive that like if you're cool enough or whatever, the people will come to you like you don't right. go ask for the opportunities yes. like you do the work. And if the work's good enough, the opportunities come to you. And oh, that's just not true. It's, it's not true. Not, <laughs> but I know that feeling. I still feel that way. <laughs> yeah, right. Like like and it's like more than ever not true because of the algorithm. Like you could be the there's so many artists that are like. 40 million times better than I am that have half the following that I do just because of the way the, like I got lucky that my thing worked in an algorithm at one point and got right. out there to people where like, it literally is a roll of the dice. Like totally. it really, it, or playing a game. Like totally. you can either like, and like, there's so many artists that I love that have like, I'm like, you should be way, like, you should be doing this. Like I know. it's not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, I, I think I grew up on that idea of, be undeniable like whatever you're doing do it good enough to be where like people are going to recognize how good it is and that will get you places but that's not true like right. there is no being undeniable anymore yeah. no there isn't <laughs> there probably never was you know what i'm no, saying no, like... <laughs> that's true that's true that's very true there is something to the idea that like to have the cultural impact that like a tweet can have or like a social media post or a YouTube video, you used to have to invest years in creating something like right. to get something viewed by millions of people. It would take years of making something. No right? Doubt. And now it's like an afternoon, an hour, yeah. 15, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not that there's not still effort and creativity and all this, right. but there's a different interaction with time there. That's right. really interesting to me. I well, think it kind of plays into all that, but it, going on with that, speaking of time, it's like the idea of like, and I can't remember who came up with the quote with the 15 minutes of fame. Now it's 15 mm-hmm. seconds. If that, yeah, you know what I'm saying? True. Like you are, you are a, a pop culture phenomenon for a blink of an eye. Yeah. Whereas I think the people who like struggled and worked for it and created this body of work to get to that place. I mean, it, the, the staying power is a lot more, you know, there i think totally and i think they got in before a cultural cutoff like i think doors do close in certain ways and it's not that like bigger doors don't open and there's not other opportunities to like but it does it is the type of thing where certain people got in before well all the getting was good absolutely it's, it's not saying that they're not talented or they don't deserve it or they're not but like 
that's a true state. Like the Doug Rushkoff, one of my favorite writers, thinkers in general, yep. right? He, he, his most recent team human episode was about how he's leaving X and social media and everything. But he acknowledges that this is a privileged thing he can do because yeah. he got in before, like sure. he, he made a career. His biggest books were in the nineties. Like yep. he had like a following. So like he's, able to do that and, and that's like, beautiful to acknowledge that yes, too yes i mean no, I, I, I even think like, i even I, I you know i try to talk about this my my podcast a lot that i recognize the privilege i have to have spent god decades reading i had parents who would buy me these books i don't have to have three jobs you know to support myself and i yeah. have time to look into high strangers a yes. lot and no. that is maybe I mean, I'm living the dream in a lot of ways because that is such a privileged position to be in. And I totally recognize it. So I don't want to take that for granted. You know, like yes, I think, no. people are, you know, like yeah, it's, it's just something I feel like I, I, I do feel lucky in a lot of respects. One 100%. that one that I have passion in me still yeah. with, with the world being the way it is. I do see a lot of like friends I have, especially in like, the acting world with the strike going on, the business changing, not for the better and the passion they had to put so much passion into becoming an actor or director or writer because that's what it requires. It requires all of you to even get yeah. your foot in the door that now that they're so the business of show business is becoming so unappealing. They're like, I don't know what I have passion for anymore. And it's so sad. Like so I was always sad. lucky because I had this other thing of being, a, being a weirdo, but they don't have that. And it makes me really depressed because Dude, I'm like, that is so such a bummer because yeah. so, I told you, I don't know if we were talking on the pod, but I, I gave that speech at um, uh, my old college, right? And then they asked me to come back and talk at an open house with mm -hmm. a bunch of kids that were looking to go there and like prospective students and whatnot. And one of the things I told them, I was like, yo, you guys are so far ahead of so many people because you know what you want to do in the future. You might not know how it's going to look, but you know that you want to work in the creative yeah. fields. And knowing that and having a passion for something puts you miles ahead of 80% of the other people your age. And to hear that like there's this displaced group of passionate people without an industry yeah. in which to serve that because like, like art. Like you, you get, there's a lot of parallels with like the AI art and like the job replacements and stuff, but there's still so many other avenues to make acting's not like that. There's no. not a million other avenues no, to, to go act. And like, <laughs> there's, there's kind of one, you know, yeah. unless you want to do like, I, I just talked to a friend who mainly records, uh, they're like 15 minute documentaries for court cases now for right. like settlement i'm like that's a thing like yeah. God. and he's like no literally it's like reality tv but for this kid to get a settlement from a big corporation or something like wow. god damn it the world's broken like, <laughs> like wow like that's that's your acting career yeah. you know like that's a bummer right a bummer. like like that's a, that but the thing that gets me like hopeful about that is that there's this giant like mass of un tapped creative potential that's gonna bubble out some there's gonna be something else like so, i always yeah. i always use photography as an example like my favorite before comics my favorite type time period in uh, art history is the turn of the century illustrators when like their early 1900s howard Pyle and thomas nast and all these guys that were running like the saturday night the saturday evening post covers they were defining fashion they were defining culture because there was no radio there was no tv if you wanted to know what the cool hot clothes were you go to these paintings of people wearing right. clothes right <laughs> they were they were the movie stars of the time and then photography comes in and that job doesn't exist anymore no. because they they can take pictures of the clothes, not pay thousands of dollars for these paintings that take weeks, right? And 
all of those illustrator jobs, illustration was still a job that you could have, but it wasn't that high paying job. But what that did was it created the comics and the pulp industry that we grew up loving. Like, Absolutely. So, these economic shifts are scary and problematic and all of these things a hundred percent, but I feel like it does allow for the things to bubble up and open up that we don't know what's going to be yet. Yep. So I, I try yeah. again, redirecting that thought train to like, be like, okay, like, <laughs> well, I I'm totally with you. And what I talk about with my friends who are, you know, still in the entertainment business, we all think we're about ready to witness a big change to where film and TV is done on a much bigger independent level than the studio system because the studio system is dying it it, it really is like it's funny because like marvel movies and star wars movies and kind of like the big tentpole films are really keeping the lights on in hollywood and are they even still doing good no no they're not they're they're losing money right yes the last three i think lost money and they were huge box office failures in their eyes so and even i think like the star wars movie they're not getting the eyes that they used to i think people are just like we're we want new oversaturation stories. we right? want new like, stories i'm yeah, sorry yeah. and i think i really do see a, a time in the not too distant future where just like art and just like music diy film and it, there already is like obviously there's independent movies but then independent movies became five million dollar movies then that's not really independent anymore <laughs> you know what i'm saying but like i do think it's going to swing around to where like it's put back into the artist's hands yeah and like i i would love to make a movie where some like rich dentist put up you know 500 grand and we go shoot right. a movie in cleveland like that to me is more appealing than doing a movie for warner's warner brothers yeah where it's made by committee you know like no it's, absolutely so. see this is something that i i i kind of struggle with and like so from an artistic creative point of view i think like i'm right there with you 100 percent. and like i think that this is a beautiful it could lead to a beautiful new future yeah. and a lot of new stories that need uh-huh. to be injected into society and whatnot but i go back to this idea of like how do we reunify a cultural mythology right yeah. like how like if everybody's kind of doing their own like sub stack and their own like you know patreon followers and there's each thing's getting 5000 views and enough to support that creator but right. there's no cohesiveness as a uh-huh. culture anymore yeah. like where where how do we re like there's somebody that was i can't remember her name again i'm horrible with names too but she was citing all of these historical um statistics where things like seeing the jeffersons on tv had more of a positive societal change for african americans than half of the like marches and like the governmental change and like without those like progressive touch points to lead things forward if everybody's kind of consuming their own thing we we miss that opportunity in certain ways right Mm -hmm. and Again, I really try not to say one's good, one's bad. I don't know what the new one is really, but right. I think it is linked to a lot of the cultural bifurcation that we see. It's less I think it's less about the politics that everybody talks about and the fact that we're not all watching the Simpsons on yep. Sunday night together. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, like, and, and the consensus reality at this point is such a tenuous thing where I feel like it's kind of lost in the wind a little bit and i think that's very dangerous for humankind so we need to find something we can all come together on yes (laughs) yes and well and you know what that makes me think of one of the other things that i do think is kind of like a practical part of sitting in the paranormal or magic or so it allows you to realize that things are going to get a lot weirder and this is a way to kind of like take baby steps into the weird and be okay with like i think 
paradoxes are kind of one of our other superpower. Like yeah. I think the fact like we are walking squishy paradoxes. Yeah. Like we we say it all the time. My heart thinks this, my head thinks this. Like we have these fall, you know, we are not this one unified thing that we experience all the time. And I think that like that is manifesting itself into the world, you know. Completely, completely. Yeah. Uh, Todd, this has been an absolute treat. You are one of these people. It's just like, I wish, I wish everyone could have like a face to face conversation with you because you like made my day happy. Like you, you were such a, I mean, like, I, it, it, I, you know, luckily a lot of my friends are artists, but you're a special kind of artist where I feel like you are just putting goodness into the world through what you do naturally. So my God, everyone, I will have links to all of Todd's work where you can find him. And I highly recommend listening to his podcast, following him. Uh, he's the best follower in the world on Instagram because it's all good shit. It's not like, it really is. It's Here. all, his messages are beautiful and his art's so beautiful. And every time I come across it, it, it makes me smile. So oh, my man, thank you for being me. you and putting your so much positivity and weird positivity. You know what I'm saying? It's not uh, like, it's not just like positive affirmations you're going to find on a calendar. These are from, Todd is, like I said, this explorer that, humankind has hired to go into the depths of the collective subconscious of the world and come back and tell stories about it. So Todd Purse, you are an absolute gem of a human being. I got to about two questions out of the 25 I created. So I'm going to have to ask you to come back because I want to get into weird Delaware and I I have have a bazillion things, but man, this just went in a beautiful place and I loved uh, it. You Thank know, you it, so much. I, I, I think Terrence McKenna would be proud of us because we talked extemporaneously. And <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, we didn't even get to touch on Terrence. That's no, funny. we did. Yeah, I yeah. had like five Terrence McKenna questions. <laughs> I know, like you're probably the person I know in this world who loves Terrence as much as I do. So <laughs> it's one of those things that I think everybody could benefit just going to. Like uh-huh. anybody that's into UFOs or any of the weird stuff, just go yep. listen to a Terrence. Any of them, like any of start them. start with the John Mack interview if you want to start totally. like UFO specific. But like yep. any of them, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> They're all great. And I would I would recommend one that stands out to me, and I think we we talked about on your show is the Ramdas, Terrence oh, McKenna, like where it's like the my dinner with Andre thing where they're sitting at the cafe, <laughs> yes. and it is fucking beautiful, man. It, <laughs> it is, is like it is. It makes me it's... cry. It's so perfect <laughs> dude it really is that there's so much more that you just made me want to talk to you about i know I, well let's do this again yeah, let's please, do it again very yeah, soon totally. oh my gosh everyone thank you so much for listening again my guest was todd purse the wonderful todd purse our the the explorer that we have hired as the human race <laughs> to bring back goodness to us todd thank you so much for your time brother have an absolutely wonderful rest of your week everyone that's been high strangest have a great dinner tonight bye y'all